As we continue through First um, Thessalonians, we recognize this is, this is a great group of people. They have quickly responded to the good news that Paul and his friends have brought to them. And even though Paul wasn't with them that long, they really grasped an understanding of, of the good news. And they really took it to heart. And he's writing back now to them to encourage them in that fact. In fact, we learned that as Paul had left and he learned that they were just really getting hit hard with persecution. It looks like their local government was very much against them and others. And they were, they were just getting hit hard from all sides and were dealing with a lot of tough issues. And that happens in, in, in different ways, in different forms. Um, one of the ways that warms my heart um, in the not too long history is looking at in St. Louis. There were a group of Christians who decided they were going to build a church, and they were Baptists. And this is the early 1800s, and as they were gathering to worship, this group of people remind me a little bit of the, the, um, this group of people here in Thessalonians, that they loved God more than politics, they loved God more than racism, and it was a group of black and white people came together to do church together from the get-go, which is an amazing thing in itself, during, especially during that time period. And the church joined together, and they decided to have this incredible creative name for their church. Get this, they called themselves First Baptist. And so as they gathered as, as First Baptist Church together and time continued on, they recognized that they loved each other and this experiment they were doing together was really great. But those members of the congregation, it seemed like they were getting maybe held back in their spontaneity and liveliness in worship by all the whole white folk in the congregation. So they discussed this together as friends and they decided that very friendly they would, they would separate um, because of the different worship styles that they were craving for. And so the people who were black in the congregation asked for zoning um, to build a new church. And the city refused them. They would not allow them um, space within the city to build a church. And so as they discussed this as a congregation and the problems that would result um, and, and facing the oppression the city was giving them, you know what they decided to do? The people who were white in the congregation said, we'll leave. You be first Baptist, and we will leave, and we'll be second Baptist. And so the white folks left. They got their zoning that they were requesting. And so in St. Louis, that's the reason that First Baptist Church is a primarily black church, and Second Baptist is primarily a white church. But they're both integrated a lot today because of the nature of who they were. But I just think that's a really cool story of how um, Christians coming together in unity, in love, were figuring out a problem and, and how to deal with that. Don't ask me about where Third Baptist Church and Fourth Baptist Church came from in St. Louis because I know they're there. I do not know their stories, and I hope that it's a beautiful story as First and Second Baptist. But yeah, I don't know about Third and, and Fourth Baptist. So as we look into this church, we recognize they were getting severe persecution. And we're going to peek in here at, at chapter 3, 
and we will be able to see Paul's concern for them, but also saying, Paul, a little bit of, I told you, this is, this is what happens. I, I did not, like, candy coat or sugar coat anything about what it means to be a follower of Christ. So let's start in here in um, 1 Thessalonians 3, starting with verse 3. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens, and we sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith, talking about knowing that they were dealing with some tough problems here, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we are destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you we would be persecuted. So I think this is very important to note as Paul is speaking to them that he's just being up front. Being a follower of Christ brings some issues with that. And it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith, and I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. But Timothy, Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He's told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as also we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you may be blameless and holy in the presence of God and Father when our Lord Jesus Christ comes with all his holy ones. He's excited. Timothy has gotten back, and so he's writing this letter in response of what Timmy, Timothy has communicated to him. And he's saying, well done. I know you have been through a really tough time and continue through that, but well done. And for me, it's a reminder that the little bit, if any, persecution I receive, that there's an understanding that that's an opportunity. It's an opportunity for, for growth. But you know, when I, when I was growing up and uh, my dad, especially on Sunday mornings as we were getting ready for church, it's kind of funny now, but we had this 25-inch console TV that sat on the floor and we had one in the kitchen. It was in the way in the kitchen, but while we're eating breakfast Sunday morning, that console TV sitting there and we're listening to TV preachers as time goes on. Even back, Charles Stanley was one of them. And then other, um, two other people who were on after him were usually talking about end time stuff. You know, this is toward the end of the Cold War, and there was a lot of attention still going on and through the Cold War. And so a lot of the teaching was dealing toward end time things that was going to happen. And part of, I just noticed the regular preaching um, stood out to me because it was different 
than the preaching than I would get from Merle Craig, my pastor um, at Owensburg Baptist Church. And, and here was the difference. Some of the, not Charles Stanley, the other ones, just to clarify, were preaching a lot about the problems that you're having now. If you just turn to Jesus, most of all your troubles will go away. You know, and then also the big troubles are coming in the future, especially with the end time stuff. So the tribulation period's coming. You turn to Jesus now and you have your problems go away now. And then also you won't have any big problems in the future and you won't be caught up necessarily in the tribulation period. But all of the, the sermons themselves seem to point to life will be more like easy street if you're following Jesus, and things will be smooth sailing, so come on to Jesus, and for $9.95, I'll send you this cloth, and it will help you as well, and you can have this prayer cloth. But as Paul is teaching here, it's very different from that, and as I recognize, my pastor spoke differently as well. He spoke all the time about how God is love, and, and God is, is reaching out to all of us, and calling all of us home to be a part of his, his loving family, and there's, there's reward in that now, and then in the afterlife as well. So he certainly covered that, but there wasn't this main focus of saying that when you become a follower of Christ right now, life's going to be smooth sailing. And over the past decade since then, you know, there's been new terminology that's been um, associated with that. Sometimes it's called the health and wealth gospel that are the prosperity gospel, that when one becomes a follower of Christ, just things get nicer and, and better financially as well as other ways. Um, as long as you give that $9.95 um, to, to make sure that happens. But here Paul is so not saying that. Paul is telling them right at the beginning that we are destined for trials and persecution. And I think that gives a truer picture of what it means to be a follower of Christ because we're being presented with this understanding of the good news of the opportunity to follow the creator of the universe who created all that we can see and at the same time is loving us so much that, that God has created this opportunity for us to have this intimate relationship with him. Jesus even said we can call our heavenly father daddy. It can be that type of intimate relationship. And through what Christ has done on the cross has made this avenue, this pathway for us to follow him. As we gain in our understanding of what it means to truly worship, Paul also in, in some other books of the Bible, especially um, 2 Corinthians, he does an important message here of helping deepen this understanding of what it means to go through junk, what it means to go through persecution, what it means to go through trials of, of different types, and I'd like to look at those. You see, God does want us to have joy, 
and deepen an understanding of what it means to be content and have a worldview that we understand what's going on in life and that we will have trials and tribulations. And God does want us to have joy through that and to have a contentment because of that relationship that we have. But nowhere is it preached that we will be everlastingly happy in this life because the world's fallen and broken. And so as we experience different trials and different things that happen, we can count on the joy, but not necessarily on the happiness. You see, growth, as Christ is calling us to enter this relationship, part of that is an understanding that we are going to be sanctified. We're going to grow to look more like Jesus if we're truly pursuing Jesus. But you see, whenever we're called to growth, growth means change, and change always in my book, always involves pain of one type or another. Anytime there's change, there is pain. And one of the things that, as I was thinking about in my life, of, of areas of where I've tried to grow in my relationship with Christ, in my relationship with, wife, with my wife, Lisa, um, I remember back, it's been almost 20 years ago, but we did a study on boundaries, and we, everyone got boundaries with, for kids and things like that in my Sunday school class. We discussed boundaries, and I recognized in some ways in my relationship with Lisa, I wasn't doing things well. And so I began working on some of those things um, in, in our relationship. And I found that as I was trying to fix one thing about my attitude about things, it made other parts of my attitude, I think, worse. And so I was fixing one thing, but making something else work. work. And even now today, I'll, I'll notice, um, I'll say something to Lisa, and then after the fact, and she'll, she'll call me on it too, but I'll say something that's rude. You know, I'll say something that's not the best way I could have phrased that. I'll say something out of frustration, and I'll go back to the boundaries thing, where I'm like, well, that's been 20 years, and I'm still really working on that. Um, but I recognize... I am so much a work in progress, but for me to accelerate my growth to be more like who Christ is calling me to be, then that does involve some pain as I recognize I need to change and to be more like Christ in many different ways. Now, this, this suffering that we all have to deal with in life, Paul actually uses that in a very important way in his letter to the Corinthians, the second letter to the Corinthians that he wrote. And in this passage that I'm getting ready to read, Paul is apparently, as he visited um, Corinth and as he taught there, and then he wrote um, letters back in response to them, the Corinthians aren't responding the same way that the people at Thessalonica are responding to him. And so there's a lot of division there. Some people are agreeing with Paul and other people aren't. And it's intriguing, in 2 Corinthians, he spends a lot of time saying, you can trust me. But the, the way that he says, and to, that he tries to give credibility to himself, isn't his incredible education. It isn't that he's an amazing Pharisee, and that he is pretty high up on the echelon of, of, of rabbis and teachers. But he uses the fact that he has gone through suffering as one of the primary things he's putting on his resume to say that he's worthy of being listened to. 
And we see this in a couple ways. And I want to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7, where he tells them this. But we have this treasure in jars of clay, our bodies, to show that this also passing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is work at us, is at work in us, but life is at work in you. So we talk about this, these struggles that we deal with. It helps us to become actually inwardly more like Christ. Like as things happen to us in a negative way, um, he's mainly focused on persecution um, because of the gospel, but he's also referring some to the, the, the bad things that have happened to him in life. Whenever these things happen to us and around us, it's an opportunity for us to grow. It's an opportunity for us to learn what it means to have patience. It's an opportunity for us to be more like Christ as we allow the inner self to grow. Um, he continues on in chapter 11 in the same letter, starting with verse 23, um, and he's going to, to run through the things that he's had to deal with. Are they servants of Christ? Am I out of my mind to talk like this? I am more. I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently. So what Paul specifically is referring to this is Paul, poor Paul. He goes in and teaches and, and teaches at a place. And then after him come other people who are negating what Paul said. And it's really ticking Paul off because he's dedicating his life to this. And the people come in and saying Paul is wrong. And so he's responding back to this um, accusation. I'm more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled, and I have, not gone, with, and I have gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst, and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked, besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak? I do not feel weak. Who is led into sin? And do I not inwardly burn? He's saying, I'm like you. I suffer. I have suffered terribly because of the calling that God has given me and what I'm doing. But he counts this as a reason that he should be trusted. Someone who has gone through all this pain and he still keeps going fo forward, he's getting no material rewards for this. He's getting no money. He makes it a point that whenever he travels, he doesn't have to live off the money of someone else, so he works as he goes, trying to earn his keep and to pay for his food and his shelter. But he counts all of these things as giving him credibility. 
And it really gives me a lot of food for thought as we live life. How do we respond to the oppression that we have? How to respond to persecution, and it looks like in the future it will probably get worse and worse. How do we respond to the persecution that we will get as Christians? And then the fact that we live in a fallen world, and our bodies are fallen, and things are going to be happening um, to every one of us eventually. How do we respond to that? How does it affect our attitude about God, about life? How does it affect our worldview as we strive to be who God calls us to be? Um, the early church had a lot of struggles. That first three centuries that they existed were extremely persecuted. But there was the author who, who did a study and he found out there were two main things that he saw that were going on with the early church in those first three centuries. One, they were persecuted a lot. The Roman Empire was very much against them at the first 300 years and was fighting them in every way with severe persecution. But also, people seemed to grow to love them. Like even though this group of people who were part of the way, who were called Christians as a derogatory term, that they were experiencing all this persecution, people in the empire were drawn to be like them. They saw in something that the way that the people were responding to the oppression that made other people want to be like them. It made other people want to join their ranks as they were facing what they faced. That people admired them. People saw how they loved each other. They saw how they, they faced oppression. As Paul pointed out, that he didn't, the way that he fought against the oppression that he was getting was all through love. He responded always. Sometimes, as the Lord led, he would leave town. Sometimes, as the Lord led, he would go and he would appear and, and speak out against things as far as. Um, defending his faith and defending Jesus. But as far as him facing jail time, he did not appear to, to, to fight that. He, his primary motive, the way that he operated, was to always point to Jesus as the way, the truth and the life as Jesus taught. And that the way that he did that somehow was endearing to the masses around him. And it caused people want to follow him. And so for us, our challenge as, as we read these passages, is I want to ask us, the way that we respond to the negative things that come our way, whether it's through um, just bad things that happen to us because we live in brokenness, or persecution that we may be experiencing, our faith in the future, do we, as we get hit with this really hard stuff, does it cause people to want to be like us, or does it cause us, other people, to back away because they're, you know, we're a hot mess, and people are just giving us a wide berth? And it's a really important thing to consider, that we, our primary drive is to point to Jesus in everything that we do and how we live our lives. And so, it's, it's critical that we want the world to see how we have to deal with very difficult issues and we want them to see that we deal with that in a way that is 
and love and is pointing to Jesus and not pointing to ourselves, not pointing to our own um, selfishness, our own anger. But the world needs Jesus. And since the world randomly isn't just picking up the scripture to read, as I mentioned last week, what they're first going to see of the word is how you present the word, how you present Jesus to the people around you. So our, our question this morning, as Danny throws that up, how does suffering affect my attitude? When I have to deal with things that are not going my way, the way I respond, does it point to Jesus or does it point to something else? So this, is, this is critical for us to communicate the gospel during tough times. And so that's a challenge for us. Does my attitude point to Jesus or does it point to me or does it point to something even worse? But as we suffer, it's an opportunity to point to Jesus in love. And sometimes that can be complicated, so we have to really rely on the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit is leading us to work through difficult circumstances. But that's where Paul is praising um, the Thessalonians here this morning. And I want, if Paul was writing a letter to us, I would hope that he can say the same things, that we're dealing with things well. Are we? Are we personally? Are we as families? Are we as a church? It's something to always be thinking about. And our challenge is, is what's our attitude this morning? So as Linda plays through this um, first part of this hymn, be just listening to the Spirit speak and just say, God, does my heart need adjust adjustment this morning? Is my attitude off sometimes? Do sometimes I point to me rather than to you? And God, tell me where that is so, so we can work on that together. If you would like prayer this morning, I'll be up here. If you want to talk about joining our church, I'll be up here. Um, and that's true 24-7. But listen to the Spirit this morning. And may all of our hearts be ready to hear the change that we need to make in our lives. Heavenly Father, as we recognize Change can be rough. Change can be painful. But God, as we put our hope and trust in you, it gives perspective on it. We can understand it that we're destined for trials. We're destined for trouble. We're destined for persecution as we're living a life that you call us to. So God, help us to do that well in a way that points to your holiness and your love and your truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.